This is Star Wars Action News, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Action News, Rise of Skywalker discussion. This is Marjorie. And this is Arnie, and we have... Joining us a number of friends and Star Wars Action News family, we have with us Nathan P. Butler. Hey folks, I'm alive, I really am, I promise. Hopefully you're watching him with his Star Wars from the, what is your channel called? I don't want to mess it up. Uh, It's from the Star Wars Home Video Library. There you go. And all the way from the UK, they actually, even with all Brexit, still get movies there. Steve Nixon. (laughs) Greetings, this is Steve, the Ginger Prince. Nice to speak with you all again. Father of Owen Cheddar, who used to do our youth reports, Mark. Hey guys, this is Mark. Uh, Darth Cheddar, yes, Owen is my son, and uh, he's around somewhere, maybe he'll chime in. He's like, what, 28 now? Not quite, but he is in college, (laughs) so it's it's been a bit since he's done a podcast. Jerry. Hey guys, how are we doing? Daryl. Hello, the Emperor has returned. And Curtis. Glad to see everybody and hear everybody again. It's been a long time since Celebration. It really has been, and it's hard to believe that at Celebration we really got our first look at Rise of Skywalker, and now we've seen the whole thing. Let's just kind of go around. We'll first do a in-order overall thoughts, and then we'll have a broader discussion. So, Marjorie, we'll start with you. Well, I didn't love it. Actually, you know, I, I think that what this trilogy has had a hard time doing was establishing the deep emotional connections that we had. I mean, even with the prequel trilogy, which again, I was not five during that, like I was during the original trilogy, you still developed emotional connections and relationships with the characters because even though they weren't in the original trilogy, they built up them that way. And they were rich and luxurious worlds and environments. And this one was kind of lacking that. I will say that anytime I had Finn and Poe on screen with Chewbacca, they were killing it. Those two guys are great actors together. Adam Driver absolutely killed it. I'm glad C-3PO got something to do and a little bit of a saving act in his part, although he did get his memory back. So it wasn't necessarily completely, he wasn't dead or anything, but terribly missed R2-D2. I think he could have been given more to do instead of just receive a package and sit there. A little bit Sad about how they handled Princess Leia's death. I feel that could have been done a little better. But overall, I mean, it was a nice palate cleanser from The Last Jedi, I guess I can say. Nathan. Well, I personally really liked it. Um, I would say probably it's it's my favorite of the sequel trilogy at this point. But this is coming from the guy that when I did my first podcast episode ever back in 2002, I said Attack of the Clones was the best Star Wars ever. So what the heck do I know? You know, it was a fun ride. I went into it assuming that it was going to be a lot like Return of the Jedi in the sense that a lot of the deeper stuff and a lot of the character connections would have come in the previous two episodes. And in a lot of ways, this one would essentially be kind of a nonstop, you know, this is the climax of the story type thing, Um, which seemed to be the case. It seemed to kind of hit the ground running and just keep going and going and going. So I enjoyed it in that sense. I do think there's a few things they're going to need to uh, provide more explanation for for some people because it really relies on being willing to buy Palpatine's return. And if you don't, or if you have problems with it, that's going to screw up the entire movie for you. And if you do, then you're great. You can just keep running. In that sense, I think that the novelization is going to be a big help because the visual dictionary is no help at all. Doesn't mention Palpatine being alive at all. And just 
in general, uh, I, I think Marjorie's right that it's the connections to the characters that make such a big difference for us. And for me, Kylo has always been my favorite of the sequel trilogy characters. I've been drawn to him, to Anakin back in the Legends days, Ulick Keldroma, these these tragic characters to see how their complex psychology works out in the end. Uh, so for me, that worked out great in this case. Um, but definitely it feels like a course correction to some degree from last jedi though i think that most of their course corrections for the most part still made logical sense within the context of the whole so it didn't feel as jarring as i think um the course correction did for some and to clarify that novelization isn't out we don't know that it's really going to explain anything else about palpatine yeah it more than likely i would expect that it will because they're giving it months before it comes out and it seems they're taking a similar approach to it as they had jason fry take with the last jedi which filled in some of the gaps from that one as well at least you know, that's what we're hoping based on the early reports. All right, Curtis. It was great. I enjoyed it from start to finish. It obviously has little bits that can be picked apart, but it was enjoyable. Um, I do think the new characters have finally come into their own, and you're not sitting around going, well, when are they going to bring in Lando or Wedge or Luke or anything like that? So on the whole, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to try and get back to see it again this week while I'm out of work. Okay, Mark. Well, after the first viewing, I, I really needed to see it a second time. It moves so fast. And uh, one of the big notes I wrote down is it just, there were scenes that you, you didn't have time to digest them. I will say after seeing it a second time just yesterday, I do like it more than I did after the initial viewing. Uh, I'm looking forward to this discussion because nobody at work has seen it. All the people that I want to talk to about it at work keep telling me not to say a word. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I do like it. I, I didn't like The Force Awakens as well as a lot of people did. I like this better than that. And it's got its nitpicky parts. You know, we can nitpick every movie to death. Uh, but overall, I think uh, it made up for it with, with a lot of the positives I saw. Jerry. All right. Hey, you know... Um... I got to say, I really liked this film. And one thing that I did that led me up to it that, that I think was really uh, – I'm, re I'm really glad that I did it is that I, I watched Force Awakens on Tuesday night. I watched Last Jedi on Wednesday night and saw Rise of Skywalker on Thursday. And, and, and also, I actually sat through Last Jedi in an entire showing, which is something I haven't done since theater. So not only did I like it, but it actually made me, in retrospect, like that, this whole trilogy better, which I think is probably the best thing I can say about that third movie in a trilogy is that, yeah, hey, now I kind of get where they're going in some things, even though I think behind the scenes we know that probably was just maybe more of a course correction versus an intentional plan. I think it could have been better if there had been – and we've talked about this before. It's like if they had laid out a trilogy with some, a lot of intentionality behind we're doing this for this reason, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I think The Rise of Skywalker was really more of a make good movie. But overall, it worked very well with me. Daryl. I did really enjoy this movie. Uh, I have been able to go and see it twice and kind of a few of the things that I didn't like in the first go round, such as the kind of quick planet hopping and stuff like that, kind of because I had seen it before and the second viewing didn't take as much away uh, as the first viewing. Uh, a few minor groaning moments to me that, that can it be overpassed. I mean, we're nitpicking at certain things when we go through this, but uh, it is a, a fun, enjoyable movie. Probably my favorite of the, uh, the post trilogy. Steve. Well, if you've, 
if you've spoken to me in the last couple of years, you know that I really didn't like The Last Jedi. I had real worries after the end of that film about where this was going to go for episode nine. Jerry and Nathan have both used the phrase course correction, and that's what I believe that this film is. I, I felt Last Jedi was a misstep, and I think this did a good job in bringing it together and really ending the saga satisfactorily for me. That was the big worry for me, that it wasn't going to tie up the saga. As an individual film, I think it is a little bit messy. Um, I think there's quite a, quite a bit that's done in a ham-fisted way. But it does make the trilogy better, and it does finish the saga off, off nicely. Um, like Jerry said, this actually, I, I think this will make The Last Jedi easier for me to stomach now, the, the way it, it treated some of what came out of, of The Last Jedi. And I've, I've seen it three times now, uh, saw it for the third time today, and it, 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 has, it has improved on each of the three viewings as well, I'm, I'm pleased to say. And for me, I'm noticing that a lot of people, if you really didn't like The Last Jedi, the people who are in that camp seem to like this one a lot more, and the people who really liked The Last Jedi seem to like this one less. Me, I like The Last Jedi. I do think it's the best of the sequel trilogy, and I do think that... Rise of Skywalker is the weakest of the three. I did see it three times, saw it opening night Thursday, and I was really lost for the first 90 minutes as we did go planet to planet to planet to planet to planet to get a dagger, to get a box, to get Chewbacca, to get another the dagger a second time, to get the box finally, and then the box didn't even matter, to go to another planet. But it really, the last hour of it from obviously, spoiler alert, in full effect, from Harrison Ford's moment on, I really got into the film. And the second time I watched it, I liked the beginning stuff more, and the third time I watched it, I was really able to focus on the stuff I did like, like some of the character moments, what C-3PO gets to do, what Ray gets to do, uh, Poe and Finn don't really get to do much, but... It's it's Ray's movie and Ben Solo, Kylo Ren's movie, and I did like it. I mean, I I will think that this trilogy isn't going to be the one I rewatch the most when I rewatch Star Wars, but it was a good end to it. So, just throwing it out there, then, what was your favorite part of the movie? One of the things that I think I appreciate about this movie so much is that three movies in. And we finally have a story where Ray, Finn, and Poe are on an adventure together. I felt like the three of them were working as a unit, like Han, Luke, and Leia. And of course, Chewie and some droids are there, but they're constants. But like those three are actually working together. Poe introduces himself to Ray at the end of the Last Jedi, which when that happened in the you know when I first saw them, like no wait a minute, certainly they would have chatted for moments before she got on the ship to go find Luke. But it's like, yeah, really, Poe and Ray have not been in scenes together yet. And these are the three new heroes of the trilogy, and we're just now finally getting them working together, which is kind of sad from the trilogy. But in this movie, I was like, yes, this the dynamics of all three of these characters work so well for me. And I really think that's actually what gave me such a liking for this movie throughout was just, I love the dynamic among these three characters. I wish we could have gotten more of that in this trilogy. I think for me, a lot of it came down to uh, pay off of a couple of things. Um, one being the the scene with Han. 
of course. Uh, If we're going to believe that Kylo can really be redeemed, and we knew he was sort of torn anyway in the beginning, but to actually believe and sort of buy into the idea that, yes, okay, he is returning to being Ben, we had to somehow in many cases get over the fact that he killed Han, and to have Han be the one essentially there with the forgiveness. Um, uh, The the echoing kind of you know, disjointed echoing of the line back about, you know, I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it, and him saying you are, or the I love you, I know moment where he can't say it, but he still responds, I know. That to me was was a key moment that just had to be there, and that was one of the moments where I got choked up. Um, I would say the other thing, though, it's not so much a moment as a concept, and that is that I'm glad that with all of the, because I'm with Arnie, I loved Last Jedi. And the introduction of the whole idea of the force bond and the dyad and all in that, and the fact that we've got, you know, the rainwater getting onto the gloves of Kylo when it's really Rey standing in the rain, the idea that there could be a physical transference. Uh, I'm glad that that didn't fall by the wayside. Instead, it was really played up here. Uh, It wasn't just a goofy, odd thing just for that one film. Here, we even get probably my favorite nonverbal moment of the film, which is the the transfer of the lightsaber, not so much the transfer itself, but giving Kylo a chance, surrounded by the Knights of Ren, to do his little, like, bow, nod, whatever you want to call it to them, like, now let's bring it. Just the idea that that is something that was played up for such visual effect, I thought was great. I know some people despise it, but to me, if you're going to have it, use it, and use it well, and it seems like they did. I love the Palpatine stuff. I love the fact they brought Palpatine back. Um, I thought he, I thought he was a fantastic sort of high camp villain in Return of the Jedi, and I think bringing him back was a smart move. I think it combines the two previous trilogies. Um, the original trilogy is really all about that that blood link between Luke and Vader as his father. Then you've got the prequel trilogy, which is all about sort of Anakin as a, a virgin birth and and the midichlorians and Palpatine manipulating life, that sort of revenge of the Sith aspect of the story. And then bringing Palpatine back here and making um, Rey a Palpatine, but it clearly being, um, uh, you know, Palpatine re- clearly being this sort of zombie figure who, who's been dead before and the sort of clone bodies of Snoke in the tube, uh, the tubes that were in his sort of lair. I thought it brought both the blood issue and the midichlorian issue or the cloning issue that sort of run through um, the saga and sort of combined both quite neatly to finish with. But to the Emperor coming back to build off of that, Steve, I'm going to give the movie its premise. If it brings back the Emperor, I don't like it, I don't agree with it, but I accept it, to quote Lando. So... I'm going to let this movie do what it's going to do with him, and I think it does okay, but isn't it the ultimate cheat to bring him back? Doesn't it both invalidate Anakin's entire arc, as well as break every conceivable rule for this universe? Nobody's dead. The porg that Chewbacca started to eat could come back to life. I, I don't think so, because I, I, we didn't really know the origin of, of Anakin, and there was all that mystery surrounding where it, where he came from. So f- for me, it, it, it builds into that. I, I think the two tied together really well. Um, I, I think it was a masterstroke bringing uh, Palpatine back. It, it had to be. What I, what I didn't want this film to be was it for it to take it somewhere else and there to be another new villain. They, they, they obviously had to have a villain. I don't think uh, Kylo Ren was going to be 
big enough of a villain on his own. I agree with Nathan that the only way that Ben Demption was going to happen was that if that Han, Han was brought into it, um, if Han hadn't given him the thumbs up, um, then you couldn't. I don't think the fans would have accepted Ben Demption. Um, so I, I think Palpatine was the only sort of logical choice to have as the the sort of grand villain of the the nine film saga. I'll agree that I think Palpatine bringing it back full circle as the villain of the nine or Brahminthian makes sense. I think they could have taken it way more spiritual or not the physical body of Palpatine and could have been a force ghost and it would have maybe played a little bit better, but it does wrap things up nicely. And ultimately with this series that has given us no real answers between force awakens and last Jedi, I'm a big fan of the bow on the end, honestly. When you say there's no sort of spiritual aspect to that, this whole idea of of, uh, Palpatine being the embodiment of the Sith and he is all of the Sith and um, his threat to sort of transfer his consciousness into Rey and the fact this is being done in this sort of big uh, Gothic-style building with all these acolytes who are basically worshipping, I I felt there was that sort of uh, fantastical and spiritual um, aspect to it. Oh, I think they could have leaned into that more and not had a physical body there, but it may have taken more casual fans or people that weren't steeped in the books out of it. They may not have understood how this ghost was controlling everything, even though he is at this point, the dark Lord of the Sith. And it's interesting that this is, it's what's dividing fans in a lot of ways right now, you know, whether or not we should believe the return of Palpatine that tends to color so much of what we think about the film. But it's funny because this was also something that fans had to go through back in 1991, 1992, right? When the Legends continuity was the Star Wars continuity and they brought Palpatine back in Dark Empire and then Dark Empire 2 and Empire's End. And this sort of, well, what does that invalidate, et cetera, et cetera. So it's funny. It's almost like fandom now on a bigger scale, the moviegoer scale, as opposed to those that the niche group who actually is reading the books and the comics is now going through sort of that same thing. But I think that's also what makes it for many people easier to accept, because in essence, we've seen this before. We haven't seen it within canon. We've seen it only within Legends, but we've seen that to some degree before. What I like about it is it's giving us more context and and letting us view the other films in a different way, because it's not just Last Jedi that's being affected or The Force Awakens. I think back to the way that they're handling this in almost a Highlander sense, right, with Palpatine, you know, as sort of the channel, whether it's that he's channeling the way that Rey does or he actually is an embodiment spiritually. But I think back to Return of the Jedi, right, you know, strike me down with all of your hatred and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. Well, holy crap, that is entirely now different in context if it's possible that by striking him down and killing him, that didn't mean the end of the Emperor so Luke could arise with Vader, but that Luke would become the host of the Emperor uh, and the Sith and so forth. That all of a sudden, it's not so much the Emperor giving way to two new Sith, but essentially subverting the body of Luke. It, it made for an interesting twist, but again, it's, it's one of those things. If you either accept it or you don't, I think you have to do what Arnie said and just give the film its premise. Otherwise, the, the structure, the scaffolding on which the whole thing is built doesn't work and that seems to be what's rankling a lot of those folks who didn't like the film nathan thanks for bringing up dark empire that's the first thing i thought of when i saw it as well and correct me if i'm wrong there was also supposed to be a a transfer of his essence in that comic series too wasn't he trying to transfer into uh i believe it was uh leia's unborn son anakin is that correct yeah 
Anakin Solo was supposed to be. It had, and he's defeated eventually by having his essence transferred, but transferred to the wrong person into Impata Jaios Brand, the the floaty Jedi guy. Okay, and you know, I just watched Return of the Jedi thanks to uh, you know the the marathon going on on TV because the rule in our house is if Star Wars is on, the TV's on that channel. But anyways, getting back to this, you know, after I had read Dark Empire and then watched Return of the Jedi, you have that that blue mist come out of the the chasm. And I'm like, oh, that's his, that's his essence searching for a body in Return of the Jedi, uh, thanks again to the comic. Uh, so, you know, I, I took it for what it was there as well. I will say I was surprised that we saw him so soon, like right then. I thought they might drag it out a little bit. Uh, we might hear his voice once in a while and eventually see his body. Uh, so I was surprised by that. And the other question I'm just going to throw out there, why for half of the movie is he telling uh, Kylo to kill the scavenger and then suddenly, oh no, I need her here now. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's like suddenly his plan shifted. Uh, did anyone catch that or why? His plan shifted though, if I'm, if I'm remembering the movie right, didn't his plan shift as it looked like Kylo was not going to be able to be that vessel because he was shifting more towards redemption, that that's when Ray became sort of the, the primary one that should be used as that vessel. It just, I, you're right. There's a definite shift in what he wants done. I agree with Steve, but it seems like at one point we see the Emperor talking to Pride and he goes, the Princess of Alderaan has interfered with my plans. And that's when he wants Rey alive at that moment. And so I do agree that he probably was going to consume Ben. It didn't have to be his granddaughter. But then... Also, we later find out that Aki or Achi, however you pronounce it, was supposed to take Ray back alive as a grandchild, you know, when she was little. And that's why Dio had all of that information about Exegol. So he wanted her alive when she was five, wanted her dead at the beginning of the movie, and then wanted her alive at the end of the movie. Wanting her dead when she could stand in the way of his plans, in theory, and he had a better option, but wanting her alive when she seemed like the best option. I, I agree. It's simply a best option scenario with him. I think he he, he wanted a, a body to move into. And at different times in the movie, that, that body, um, the best option for that body sh uh, shifted because of circumstance. So I don't I don't think he's picky. Anything's better than this withered old thing. Now, to go back to what Nathan said about for Ben Demption, I like that term. Uh, you guys didn't coin that. The Raylos have been using Ben Demption for well, ever since The Last Jedi. Okay, well... For Bendemption to occur, Harrison Ford had to show up. And I agree in that I felt since The Force Awakens, the way Kylo Ren killed Han Solo made him irredeemable. And I know Justin from Marvelicious Toys pointed out to me, Anakin killed a whole bunch of little kids. How's that redeemable? But yet some patricide isn't. And the answer is, you kill one character I love, I get upset. You kill a hundred characters I don't know, I don't care if they're dogs or children or adults, it doesn't have the impact. So I felt Kylo Ren was completely irredeemable, but having Harrison Ford come back and have that moment, I welled up. I thought that was really emotional, and I was really moved by Ben's return to the light. That said... <laughs> Given that Han doesn't have the Force, wasn't a Force ghost, and in fact there's some d line dropped saying, oh, I'm just your memory, which means Kylo Ren is basically either having a delusion or a schizophrenic episode or is completely making excuses for himself, isn't that also a bit of a cheat to bring Han back like that? 
Han is back for us. Harrison Ford, Han Solo is telling us that it's okay to forgive Ben. That that's how I wrote that down. Yeah, he's just we're we're just watching on screen Ben's imagination and maybe hey, maybe he's so powerful the force he can conjure this vision up to do his own self-healing, whatever, but it was there to tell us it's okay. And I actually appreciate that. It's breaking the fourth wall of sorts. But I was like, I told a buddy at, at work on Tuesday during lunch, uh, he wanted to see Ben turn good and Ray turn evil. At the, I was like, man, there's no way that's going to happen. How do we forgive Ben for what he did? Oh, answer? Hansel told us to. I think there's another way of, of potentially viewing that scene. Uh, if you remember, during that time, Leia was sort of uh, about to die. And I, I, I think Leia was doing something to help create the image of Han. Maz had sort of said that Leia knows what she has to do and she's only got strength to sort of do it, indicate sort of foreshadowing her death. And sort of Leia died at the same time that Kylo was stabbed and then Han's Han's sort of ghost uh, or memory appears. So so I think there was something to do with with Leia there. Even better. That makes it it even better. I think it's right because otherwise, what does Leia do? Leia basically just kind of taps him on the shoulder and distracts him for just long enough to get stabbed. You know, otherwise, you know, Leia's you know role is is diminished in that scene. Um, I do agree that it probably is something like a force vision or something. It's you don't have to be a ghost to be part of a force vision per se. Um, but it's interesting that you know I I didn't know where they were going to go with this except having maybe Leia play a role because if you remember way back when they were talking, you know, back in the Lucas days before he said there were only ever going to be six, and and I said I wasn't going to make more, but somebody else could, and all that crap. Back when there was a nine. Uh, episode saga sort of plan number three for lucas there was talk particularly out of mark hamill about how the original trilogy that's the era in which the child redeems the parent but that in the sequel trilogy era it would be the opposite where the parent must redeem the child which made sense with it being ben being sort of the vader figure in this but then of course goodbye han then goodbye luke and leia you know, we can only use what's left from when they were filming The Force Awakens. How on earth do they make it so the parent generation still is part of the redemption of the child? And using Han in that vision, or whatever you want to call it, manages to still pull that off. Even if in a lot of ways it's, you know, his his connection to Ray is sort of the impetus for much of it. That final moment that sort of tips him over the edge still gets to be what that original sequel trilogy plan was of the parent redeeming the child. I thought that was a brilliant way to still tie it back into plans we've been hearing about in vague tones since, what, the early 80s? Do you suppose then Leia was holding on to Han's medal at that moment to conjure up him into that I force? Could be. I, I think exactly that, yeah. Man, I, see, I like that scene even more now. <laughs> and, you know, who knows how the film would have been different if Carrie Fisher was still alive. That might have been, yeah, like you said, Nathan, that would have been Carrie's moment to do, or Leia's moment to physically appear to Kylo like Luke did in the last movie. But, you know, obviously situations are what they are. But, yeah, I, golly, I like that scene even more now. And I'm wondering if the novelization will give us a little bit more about any continued efforts or any continued connection she has. Because remember, even though she dies at that moment, you know, eventually she doesn't fade into the Force until Ben does. So there's still some connection between right. the two even after, almost as if the need for him to find that final redemption, even in his own sacrifice, 
is what finally tips Leia over into having made the necessary sacrifice. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily fit with the force. That's more of like a real world religion type of thing of, you know, are you going to find your place, the right place in the afterlife? It depends on what you have done here and have you finished what you were supposed to do and that sort of thing. Um, But in that sense, there does seem to be some further connection unless, I don't know, Leia had her force fade on a timer. Well, my youngest son, he brought that up as soon as we got out of the movie. He said, again, going to when she disappeared at the same time that Ben does, that she somehow was, he asked this, was she influencing his actions? Was she, uh, air quote, controlling his actions? That takes away from his redemption, but she certainly was playing a part in in where his final arc goes. So Leia kissed Ray. Well, he also said that, but I wasn't going to bring that up, but thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Two lesbian kisses in the movie. Mm-hmm. And there goes fanboy Twitter. Good job there, Arnie. <laughs> and speaking of Ray and that kiss, you know, you guys mentioned why did Leia take so long to fade into the Force? Why was Ray a corpse laying around for Ben to revive instead of faded away? Uh, you know, I was confused isn't the right word, but it certainly did seem like she was dead. And I don't know if she was just in such a catatonic state of exhaustion and the four I, I don't know i thought that was a little i don't think that was necessary the whole physical healing of someone's wounds with a force life touch number one i, I appreciate the expansion of force powers you know 40 years 30 years whatever it is later from return of the jedi the jedi coming back learning how to manipulate the force and do better ways whatever maybe that's something ray got from all of the the ancient jedi text or whatever but I didn't quite get how – well, I mean it's not – you don't need to seek logic in this. It's a movie. But she stabs him with a lightsaber, maybe not in a – you know, m- missing every uh, uh, vital organ in that section. Heals him. He does it to her. It's set up with that big snake thing in the, uh, in the, the, the cave. But it, that's one that I was like, huh. I kind of like that, but it is a little weird. And why she's in that kind of state – and Ben revived, you know, does Ben use up all of what's left of his life's force to give Ray life? Because she's the good one who needs to proceed and he really can't. I, I don't know. I, it's, I, I think that's exactly it, Jerry. I think um, Ben makes the sacrifice and gives up because he, he knows the bad he's done uh, over, over the years. And he obviously thinks um, <laughs> that this is his way of making up for it. I honestly thought... And going into this film, uh, one of my big thoughts was, are we going to see a link with the Mandalorian? I'd sort of heard it rumoured. Now, in the Mandalorian, we see that Baby Yoda using this force healing power. And then for it to sort of crop up again in this film, again, that was just a a nice little uh, link for me. That In in the Mandalorian, when when Baby uh, Yoda sort of uses those powers, or the child, as we should be calling him, Mm -hmm. um, then that, that knackers him out. And Ray talks uh, about it in the film as this sort of giving a little bit of your force energy to someone else. And I think Ben gave so much of that force energy um, that that was enough to finish him off. And, and that was his sacrifice. And they play a lot in in these well, two. One explanation we're given is the fact that, you know, um, and they're kind of running on empty by the time that happens when she heals him. They haven't had part of their life force sucked out to reinvigorate the emperor either. Right. So they're both kind of at a lower state when he is able to transfer 
you know, the energy. So ah. that would seem to be, you yep. know, to be yep. a rational reason. But also, they really have been playing up ever since The Last Jedi, playing up this idea of, you know, the Force can do some amazing things. And in a lot of ways, Kylo and and Rey are sort of like on overcharge because it's almost like they're uninhibited. They don't know what they can't do, and therefore they can do what they put their mind to. And yet this idea that, you know, the Force would do amazing things, but there are some things that are so intensive, it will cost you your life. Uh, whether it's Luke force projecting, Leia yeah. doing what she did that was kind of like projecting, yep. and then here Kylo saving her, not just from a grievous injury like she did with him, but from actual death. Um, that sort of i think it works because we talk about how this there's new force abilities and one of the complaints about the film is oh there's so many new force abilities they're so overpowered they're op yeah but there's a cost that we didn't necessarily see you lift something with a you know you lift a rock with the force you stand on your head you do a backflip you dodge blaster bolts and deflect them back they're not exacting a cost on you this stuff this huge stuff it can cost you your life um and i think that was a a good way of giving us this sense of balance to it and letting us have some consequences. Otherwise, you just got Jedi doing miracles all the time, <laughs> and it stops really feeling, I guess, realistic isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? It stops being as believable. You know, uh, one thing I'll say to that, Nathan, I, I thought that a lot about, I really liked how J.J. took various concepts from The Last Jedi, like what you just said, Look what Luke done. How could Luke do that? Well, it cost him his life. Just like these other type of force powers, which is why you don't see them all the time. And I feel like J.J. did, hey, let me take a couple things from Last Jedi and try to tie it up in my own way and maybe ignore other things, uh, Rose. And, you know, to where since I just watched Last Jedi the night before, I could think like, oh, OK, you know what? That actually makes that aspect of Last Jedi not so bad. I can I can swallow it a little bit better now. Exactly my thoughts. I, for me, I think The Last Jedi will be a lot more palatable to me now just purely because of some of those moves that J.J. made to make um, some of Ryan's ideas a bit more uh, a a acceptable um, to to OT fans and, and make the whole saga a little bit more cohesive. Circle back to something Arnie said. A lot of the side quests ultimately were solved by the themselves or they go to this planet for this oh they lose the i'm going to call it a holocron because that's what it's called should have been called they go here they go there they come back oh we're just going to use the one kylo had anyway and you could say that's very similar to the canto bite excursion in last jedi the difference is i think what we're all saying is it was with the characters that we already knew and were already enjoying seeing so seeing them together is what makes what might be a useless journey at least enjoyable to watch i guess i didn't find that that enjoyable to watch my first time through because i felt like the first hour of this film pretty much was a whole lot of running shooting slicing flying i mean from the moment we get that opening scrawl to see Kylo Ren just slaughter a whole bunch of farmers, it looks like, <laughs> all the way until we get to Endor. It does feel like we don't have a moment to breathe. Chewbacca died? Okay, let's take 30 seconds on that and fly on. I mean, I did get a bit of a Michael Bay vibe off of the first hour here. God, I knew you were going to say that. Jeez. You know, I, it was funny. I, I had this movie, like, three sets of tickets bought. So right after they uh, land on the um, the area where the Death Star is, 
I could tell there's going to be some talky-talky scenes, so I actually went up and used the restroom because I knew I was going to see the movie two more times, and I wouldn't miss much. And I texted my friend. My friend of mine said, hey, if it's really, really good, text me, and maybe I'll try to go out and see it. I think he was being facetious, but still, I text him, and it's like, dude, this movie is awesome. And you know what, Arnie? I loved everything you just described. I wanted, if I can use a Lucas term, I wanted something in this sequel trilogy to be faster and more intense. In this movie, I think just it was just so fast and driven with action and like hey here's what we're up against let's go to it ray finn poe working together i mean at that point the point you're talking about the only thing i didn't like about the movie up to this point was the first three words in the opening scroll or maybe two words however you put it the dead speak i'm like okay that was kind of dumb the rest of the scroll opening scroll was pretty good but that that it was like revenge of the sith war <laughs> I, lo- I love that opening to the crawl anyway if, if, if you get if you look at last jedi what did we have we had two ships that were chasing each other but could never catch each other which was dull as and we had two 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 people talking to each other on an island for half an hour so the the, the helter skelter opening hour for this was such a refreshing uh, change of pace for me from the last jedi that even though things like the light speed skipping made my eyes bleed just the, the fast-paced nature of it was, was something that was such a, a welcoming change really to to the last jedi for me and the fact that we we watch these movies so many times it really does slow down on those multiple viewings because the first time through you're just kind of trying to catch everything almost and so when you kind of know what's coming, you can kind of settle into it and and view that a little bit more restrained. And it, it really kind of pans out a little bit better, keeps the action up, but yet you're not trying to catch every little Easter egg that you're seeing on screen. So it's not quite as high paced as you think it is. Totally agree with that. Rewatch will reward the viewer. So we've mentioned a lot about the idea that it's sort of circling back to Last Jedi. And I think about the one line that everybody keeps saying is the big middle finger to Ryan Johnson, right? Uh, a Jedi's weapon should deserve more respect, which I took as Luke's sort of tongue-in-cheek sort of, you know, being sarcastic about himself. You know, some self-deprecating humor like, yeah, I'm telling you this, but yeah. But I, I don't recall the look on his face to be able to tell if he's smirking and how could you tell with the beard anyway. Um, but I wonder... Um, just within the group here, like how much are we seeing this as because because there's definite corrections or whatever you want to call it from Last Jedi, definite shifts. Does it seem as though JJ was respecting what was done with Last Jedi and was just finding ways to work with it, or does it feel like there are actual sort of repudiations of Last Jedi? Because I've seen it within fandom being talked about in both ways. I tend to lean towards, you know, he's he liked it didn't expect what was happening and now we're getting a stronger film because he has to be more creative instead of pulling a force awakens and playing it safe now he has to make use of some of those things but i'm wondering to what degree you guys see this as either repudiation of the last day or just you know he's enjoying working with something else because there are times there are lines that feel like it the rose thing just the fact that that Rose barely exists in the film feels like a repudiation. The one Jedi line, unless he's joking, feels like a repudiation. And yet so much else seems like he's finding a way to work with it. I think there's a bit of both, Nathan. Um, I, I think he did enjoy working with some of the themes from The Last Jedi. How could you not? Ryan Johnson had some some really new, interesting ideas. But then there are some, some of J.J. basically flipping Ryan the bird. I mean, the line that caught it for me was with the Stormtroopers, where three times it says, they, so they fly now. Um, and that just took me straight back to Leia flying which was one of the, the biggest <laughs> criti- criticisms of, of The Last Jedi for me. So I, I just felt instantly with that, J.J. was talking directly to me. 
and um, the Luke stuff that you talk about, for me, um, I, one of the hardest things I found about The Last Jedi was, f- for me, that wasn't where I wanted to see uh, Luke Skywalker uh, evolving. And just in the two minutes that we saw Luke on screen, that that made things be- better for me. And he, he did have a smug grin on his face. Um, I, I can assure you, the, the, on third watch, I was definitely looking at that, and there is a there is a smug grin there. So yeah, I I think it's a a, a mixture of both things. I I think he's taking a, a little bit of uh, pleasure in deliberately course correcting things. Um, but I, th- I think there's some interest in, in playing with some of those ideas. The the, the Rose thing was a, a little bit disappointing for me. Dominic Monaghan, for me, was a character that was completely and utterly needless. Everything that he did or said, um, Rose could have done or said, and, and that would have basically given her just that little bit more screen time. But that obviously did look like a, a um, deliberate sidelining. JJ has said... When he did Seven, he didn't leave notes, he didn't have scripts, he didn't have anything for Eight or Nine, but when they did stuff, of course, there was all of that, yeah, it would be cool if, and it could go here, discussions. I think when he came back to do Nine, it was him continuing that vision. I do wonder, had he'd done all three, would Palpatine have always been behind Snoke? I tend to think so. Would... Ben have finally been redeemed? I tend to think so. I think he took it to the end where he would have always taken it if he'd stayed in control. The words I don't like are course correction, because that implies that the movie that had a much bigger opening weekend than this film and a much higher critic score than this film needed correction. In my opinion, it did. And, you know, the the box office this weekend, I think could just as logically be attributed to some of the disappointment that movie had. Yeah, everybody went and saw it, but there's a lot of people not going back to this movie. I I told people, like, I talked to people myself, and, you know, not among us, you know, necessarily Star Wars fans, although I'm sure it's all over, but it's just the general movie-going movie, movie going public. I've talked to people at work and church. It's like, you know, I didn't like Last Jedi that much. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to bother going to see this one yet. I'll, I'll wait after it dies down, blah, 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 blah. So I don't think you can correlate anything there. To me, it was, and that that's just that's just one man's opinion, but that's how I consider it. It was a course correction to me because I enjoyed this movie way more. I mean, I walked out of the theater of Last Jedi after one viewing thinking, man, what did I just watch? I walked out of this theater Thursday night like, wow, that was great. I'll second that opinion, Jerry. For me, it definitely is a, a course correction. Um, I, I think The Last Jedi was taking um, the, the saga in a direction that wasn't going to be satisfactory to me. Um, and this film co- corrected that course and and made sure that it did finish in a way that was satisfactorily to, satisfactory to me. Um, now, that might, might not be the case for other people, and you know, but for me, I... I definitely perceive it as a a course correction if i could toss another idea out there i i will say one thing with the idea of this being a course correction it's funny because we to say it's a course correction almost makes it sound as though there was an end in mind uh but as arnie said you know they, they didn't talk about there being plans we've got a pretty good sense just over the last what half decade or so since the reboot that there is no grand plan 
when it comes to the Star Wars stuff at this point. The movies are basically whatever the director wants to do, along with a few tiny things will connect to it. Um, the shows are kind of whatever Filoni and company want to do. The novels, the comics, most of the time they're not meant to really fit with much of anything, or they'll have a side reference to you know, the, the animated series are to the films, but not really necessarily tied to each other outside of something like Resistance Reborn that actually bothered to do that. Um, but you look at the way that even the marketing stuff and the blitz came with Last Jedi, and you look at like the visual guide or you look at the novelization and they're saying stuff about Snoke, for instance. They're saying stuff about the origins of certain things that this movie directly contradicts. There's no mention, there, there's talk about how, well, you know, Leia didn't really do much of the Jedi training. Well, now we find out at least for a year she was training on Agent Kloss with Luke until she had the vision about Ben and so forth. So even in what they have managed to produce, maybe it's why the visual dictionary for this one is so sparse on deep information because maybe they got burned on the last one. But it's like they, they've done these films and each time tried to build up the lore around it and really make it all fit. And this is the first time really with, where a new film has come and almost George lucas it with the prequels and just said, um, you know that stuff you were saying before? <laughs> Smack, no. The plan isn't there, which begs the question of whether this can even be a course correction or if it's just setting a different course, because how do you correct if there's nowhere you are planning to go in the first place? I'm, I'm talking about a course correction in terms of my own head, obviously not in terms of the, the filmmakers, in terms of where I wanted the saga to, to go or the fact that I wanted the saga to be complete. And then I, after The Last Jedi, I struggled to see how that was going to be going to be done satisfactorily. But but for me, it it put it back into what I, I wanted it to be. So maybe it's just telling on us as fans that so many people call it a correction, that there is almost a collective desire of where we wanted it to go. I, I think so. I think over, a, over the course of eight films, you get the sense of that there, that there is a, a general direction that there are, there are themes within the films. There are things you like about the characters, uh, ways in which the characters respond to events that you sort of build up an idea of, of where things are, are going to go. And ultimately some people are, are, are going to be disappointed when their own head canon, um, Take, take takes them somewhere and then the directors decide the ultimate destination is, is going to be something different my 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 headcanon was different than where ryan johnson was going and jj has finished it in in more of the way i i wanted stroke expected it to go we talked about box office a little bit there and those of you that have seen it either multiple times or in different regions how full were your theaters because Mine Friday afternoon was about 30 people. And even with a lower than expected turnout, I would have thought Star Wars would have brought more people than that. Well, I mean, the thing is, my my theater added so many showings here and there. I mean, when I looked at the available showings on Friday night because I was trying to find my nephew a ticket, I was like, holy cow, there, it appears that there's many more times in theaters open than there were just another, you know, a week ago on the on the pre-order. So that might be part of it. The two times I've seen it so far, and one of those times was 11 a.m. on Friday morning, it, they were both full. Now, we had an unheard of thing where we had tickets for Thursday night in the IMAX, and I decided I don't like that theater. The other one has recliners. And so we were able to switch our tickets on opening night the morning of and get really good seats still for the recliner one on that same night, which is unheard of for opening weekend for Star Wars. And on a whim, we were able to get tickets again for Friday night. 
but only the 3D showings. Every 2D showing was sold out, even the front row. We were able to go Friday night 3D in the front row. I mean... But usually we can't get tickets at all, period. Any reserved seat theater was full, it, but it, except for 3D. I saw, the IMAX I saw was IMAX 3D, and it was maybe a third to half full only. And, and by the way, Sunday afternoon that we're recording here, I think the weekend estimate tally domestically is at like $175 million. Yeah. Last Jedi was 220 and Force Awakens was 245 And if you look at the prequels and the original trilogy, every opening weekend was bigger in those cases. Where was Solo in that? The worst, absolutely. Well, well yeah, come on. <laughs> I think a lot of it comes down to the generational stuff. I mean, a lot of the people who are still going to movies are going to movies as groups to have fun, at least in the Atlanta area that I'm in, tend to still be the younger adults. And Star Wars, at least this incarnation of Star Wars, just does not seem to have had that type of grip on the younger generations right now. Uh, the vast majority of my students, you know, because I you know, talk about you know, outside stuff, you know, because especially when you're teaching online, you got to build that rapport. So we've talked about Star Wars and stuff and whatnot, and there just doesn't seem to be that much of an interest. And we're talking about, you know, everything from super affluent to lowest rung on the social and economic scale to different races, different groups. Di you know, the Atlanta area has almost a bunch of little microcosm communities in it. And by and large, across the board, it's just not that much of an interest. Uh, we also went to go see a 3D show and 3D around this area at least is starting to, to dwindle. So it's not really an easy, um, an easy way to gauge how things are going. Thank goodness for regions that still have 3d Blu-rays because you're not going to be able to get them for star Wars here, but it just, it, you, you take the demographics, you take um, the time of year, you take the fact that we had the last Jedi and it was so controversial. And this one just, it, it's, it's suffered in a lot of different directions, but I don't think it's because of the movie. I think once word gets out about the movie, we're going to see the numbers generally start to rise as far as uh, moviegoers go, but it was caught in a perfect storm of meh. Well, right now the, the, the word, as you say, Nathan, I think it's, I, I am seeing that younger people and, and Arnie, you alluded to this earlier, like younger folks that I know that are star Wars fans. They were, man, they were okay with this movie or if they really liked last Jedi, they didn't like this one. So the word that's getting out there, I think is, I mean, a, a buddy of mine at work said that, yeah, I, I heard that, you know, original trilogy fans were going to love this movie. And I looked at him like, okay, great. And then, but in his mind, he was looking at, cause he's like 14 years younger than me in his mind. He was like, Oh, I heard originally tri original trilogy fans are going to love this, and that was a disappointment to him. So, will this one be split down the middle like Last Jedi was, but but for completely different reasons? Maybe. I was pleased when we walked into our theater. There was actual cosplayers there. It was uh, the first time for a Star Wars premiere that it, it truly felt like a premiere in a real long time. And so it was good to see that. We came out of our showing. Uh, we did the 640 showing. We came out. It was crowded. There were lines waiting to get into the next showing. Uh, just hearing the crowd and the the buzz around it, and, and you know, different comments you'd pick up. You know, it's Star Wars. I'm going to love it no matter what. And the debates that they were having. Uh, I heard a gentleman talking to either his real young son or grandson, and they were talking about uh, Ray's lightsaber at the end. And oh, I've never seen yellow before. And boy, that must have been hard to make. And is it more powerful than other lightsabers? And, and there was a generally positive buzz. Uh, coming out of the theater, and I know uh, for our family, we, we hustled to the car because we didn't want to talk about it in front of other people and, and ruin anything for them. And, <laughs> and the boys had a, you know, we had a great conversation on the way home. We drive an hour away to get to a, a decent theater. Uh, now, that being said, to, yesterday I went to our local theater 
uh, rolled in at five minutes before 11, uh, thinking I'd go to a later show. There was hardly anybody in the 11 o'clock show, so I, I went into that one instead. So it's it's been hit and miss depending on, on the theaters you're at, I would say. Let me ask this question then. Mark, I think you said you heard people say, it's Star Wars, I'm going to like it no matter what. And the people who are on this call... I really admire all of you because you have very diverse opinions and you're not afraid to speak them. And I think that we all love Star Wars and we all love something about everything about Star Wars, but there's also some things about Star Wars individually we dislike. Sometimes it's The Last Jedi, sometimes it's the Clone Wars cartoon, almost universally it's the holiday special. So... Where do you guys come down on this? I mean, do you feel like if it's Star Wars, it should be automatically accepted? Or do you think that a critical eye should be applied and selective fandom is okay? Because I really hate it when I see people go like, well, true fans will say this is a perfect movie. I, I, I disagree with that statement strongly. I think a true fan is someone who likes Star Wars, whether or not they like this movie. Well, I mean, you've already heard, Arnie, at least two of us, Steve and I both, already reiterate things that, you know, we're uncomfortable or didn't like about Last Jedi. And because we, you know, it's personal taste, by the way, with the critical eye. I mean, we're taking in everything we see. I absolutely hate, like you, the whole, well, a true fan. like, you know, the more movies and the more comics and the more books and the more whatever they're made, you're going to start getting more and more splintering off of what people like and don't like. And trying to define that true fan is is a ridiculous notion. So, I, yeah, I, anyone who starts off a sentence with, well, a true fan, will, you, you just need you just need to stop stop listening because they're 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 in a world of their own. But critical eye your critical you know critical thinking behind what you're getting uh, absolutely i mean we're 11 movies deep now into it i think if i got the math right not counting the clone wars animated animated movie and there's all kinds of yeah that worked for me this didn't work for me maybe i'm more of an ot guy by my personal taste and my personality versus someone else might be of a younger generation might be all about that prequel trilogy because they grew up on it nostalgia plays a factor i mean there's there's all kinds of things but yeah if if you feel like that I have to accept and love everything that has Star Wars stamped on it, then, man, you're going to drive yourself nuts. All of my students knew I was going Thursday night. So Friday morning, the question was, did you love it? And they couldn't accept the fact that I didn't say I loved it 100%. I told them there were parts I really liked. There were parts that, that will bug me for a while. Maybe after multiple viewings, I'll come to accept them. Uh, big one was, boy, that Chewie's death scene and then moving right on, Chewie's my guy. And, and I, was, I wasn't happy. And then, of course, they, you know, they don't even give you enough time to digest that. And we'll, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that later. But uh, you know, they, they just didn't get that it's okay to like the franchise but not agree with everything. Uh, th this, to me, is what Star Wars is about. You guys are taking me back to my sandbox in my backyard where my friends and I would sit around playing with our action figures and talking about the movie and, and having a a good conversation about it. And even back then, you know, we didn't all agree on everything. We didn't see eye to eye on that, but we could have the conversation and agree to disagree on what we liked and didn't like. And we were all still star Wars fans. Didn't matter if you loved it or hated it. We were star Wars fans. And that's, what's great about our community. We can have this discussion and, uh, okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but thank you guys for a healthy discussion about a, mo a movie franchise. 
I don't own Star Wars, and I, I I don't think I can be friends with anyone who claims to. Star Star Wars has given me so much that that I think to sort of try and claim ownership of it, it is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we owe it; it doesn't owe us. So it can be what it wants to be. I have my own headcanon. If it doesn't fit in with with what I I consider to be Star Wars or what I get out of Star Wars, I'm quite happy to to leave it alone. So the the latest cartoon, for example, um, I struggle to even remember what what it's called. Um, but but I've not seen any of that. I've not engaged with it in any way, shape, or form, and I don't feel um, l- like I'm missing out. But then something comes out like the the Mandalorian. And I'm absolutely taken with it. Um, And it speaks to me massively. Um, So that's very much been been the way I've looked at things. I I felt the period directly after The Last Jedi, I I found that to be quite a difficult time because I I felt when I expressed my views that I was seen one way and it is it is i don't think you can have this discussion without referencing the the current political climate i mean arnie made the joke about uh brexit at the start and obviously that's dominating the british landscape you've got your own sort of political turmoil and your own political landscape over there in the states (laughs) And, and i think i think that colors everything at the moment and i felt that if i expressed views about the the last jedi then automatic assumptions were being made uh, about me and those assumptions wouldn't have been um correct at all um luckily like arnie says i I don't give two hoots what uh, what anyone uh, thinks of my opinions i will express my opinions uh, because i know what i'm what i mean when i say those opinions so i'm quite quite happy to do that and quite happy to engage anyone in conversation about star wars like like mark said this is how how it sort of started off um star wars wasn't something that was encouraged in our household i had to go to my best friend's uh house to play with his figures and to watch a new hope on a on a dodgy vhs recording off the television and i did that pretty much every saturday morning and we had these intense conversations that that mark had in his in his sandbox and um, I'm sure these conversations and 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 this sort of playtime was was replicated a, a, across the the world, you know. Now I'm seeing something different, and this is kind of interesting. Um, being a female, which you know, of course, you guys are always super awesome to females. You guys have never made me feel any different. But there's a subset of female fans that are kind of newer who are really detrimental, saying detrimental things and mean things about people who are not in love with this movie. And it's kind of weird to see that from women who are saying, you know, trying to lift up other women and then they turn around and rip you a new one because you weren't absolutely in love with this movie. And and it's, you're kind of right, Steve. I mean, you kind of feel kind of weird just like discussing it in public or even like, you know, in groups and stuff online because people immediately assume that something is wrong with you and you've got some racism or something going on if you don't like the new movies when there are other good reasons not to be in love with them. That's perfectly fine. It's just these are not my favorite Star Wars. This is not my favorite Star Wars trilogy by far. But it's very interesting that there's been a line drawn in the sand with this new era of movies versus the old movies and how different um, the fans are. To each other, even. You know, one of the other things, and by the way, Marjorie, I, I, I hate to hear that. I, I hate to hear, and I've already seen, you know, not necessarily the women uh, only, but like 
it, it you, you can almost just you know the moment Star Wars a movie dis, uh, premieres, you can almost just set your stopwatch and just say, okay, when is someone going to bring up something like, hey, uh, you people this, you people that, or you wouldn't understand, you're not a real fan. It just it it's so ridiculous. I, I'm just glad I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I'm so jazzed. I'll see it again tomorrow. And, you know, one of the things that got me through this week, I was actually so excited to see this movie. Why, when I wasn't a big fan of Last Jedi, it's because it's a Star Wars movie in a theater. And that's an event. And to me, that'll always be an event. And one of the things that I did to prep, you know, I watched the movies, listened to soundtracks. And when I say movies, I watched the Little Rogue One. I watched New Hope. I watched uh, uh, Force Awakens, Last Jedi. I did a bunch of stuff to prep. The other thing I did to prep was I listened to our previous roundtables on Force Awakens, Last Jedi. I listened to the Now Playing episodes where you guys cover those movies. Why? Just because I wanted to hear Star Wars people that I happen to know and respect their opinions talk about Star Wars, especially a couple of those conversations I was involved in. And in hearing, you know, Chris, for instance, talk about all the things he loved about Last Jedi made me think, like, yeah, you know, that actually was kind of cool the way they did that. I mean, it, it 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 built me up to get me to where, yeah, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna watch a great movie, and I'm so looking forward to talking with my friends on Sunday. And it's just when you got the right community and the right people in your community by in terms of like like, yeah, hey, we're just we're good folks who treat each other with respect, and we just want to talk about Star Wars because we love Star Wars, and we're not going to love everything about it. I, I presume at some point in this converse, conversation, we're going to start throwing out things we don't like, and that's fine. I mean, I I chuckle at some things like the dead speak or misdirect the Chewie dies, and th- thank, thank God they revealed that within like five or ten minutes because, you know, not leaving us hanging the whole movie that he's dead because that, that might piss me off, and then, you know, various things, but man, just talking it with you guys and, and going back to our previous discussions, it, it just built me up throughout the week and it's so fun. I'm going to echo what Jerry said. Uh, Star Wars is a family thing. It's a family thing here in our household since I was four, you know, dad and I went and saw it. And, uh, for the first time, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story. First time seeing, uh, a new hope during the final battle, uh, a tie fighter explodes on the screen theater gets hit by lightning at the same time exit sign explodes in our theater greatest movie in the world <laughs> you know it had me hooked i go back to the second showing and, and it didn't explode i was i was slightly disappointed but it, we were hooked <laughs> and then you, you come around to the, the the prequel trilogies i had a chance to take owen as a three-year-old to what i assumed was the last star wars movie going to be in the theater and we sat and watched it. And yes, I know it was a PG-13, and shame on me for taking a three-year-old. But you know what? That was our life. And now, same thing. Uh, I'm able to go with my kids, with my wife. We drove to pick Owen up at college so that he could go out, come with us. Fortunately, his final schedule worked out that way. And we got to see it again in the theater together. And, and that's what makes it special. It really does. You know, Mark, I want to add to that because obviously we know all of you guys because of this. And not only is that the best part of taking this venture years ago into a podcast, but you guys are our family. These are the experiences that, you know, we have with you guys too. And this conversation today is part of that. This is part of my experience with the movies is talking about it with you guys and, you know, what we love, what we didn't like, hearing someone else's opinion, which kind of makes you think differently. And we have this really great, wonderful shared experience right now with this. This is what Star Wars is about. Is bring It's brought all these people together for decades. 
And I don't know if that's going to continue with the way they're going, because it just doesn't seem to be this big family event anymore. It will for us. It will for us. So uh, let me circle back to the movie, because I didn't mean to wander away from it quite so much. But you did mention Chewbacca's death. And to take that to a larger scale, I feel like this movie undercut a lot of things. Now, I do like this movie, but I'm, I'm bringing up the things that I consider the most contentious points because I think it'll spur on the conversation. But Chewbacca's dead. Oh, no, he isn't. My gut got ripped out when Chewbacca <laughs> died because I felt like I expected certain things to happen in this movie. Chewbacca dying yeah. on a ship killed by Ray by accident was not one of them. And so I had this emotional reaction and I was mad when I found out that they'd played me. And they really kind of cheated. You get one glimpse that there were two shuttles. But where'd the other shuttle go, you know? And then Ray dies. Oh, let's undo that. She's alive now. Ben gets stabbed through. Oh, well, I'm just going to put my hand on him and heal him. It felt like every time they were... A- 3PO's memory gets wiped. Oh, yeah, and our... our- yeah, and R2 has a backup. It feels like every time they were about to make a bold choice, which I think should be made, I do think that these kinds of things would help emphasize stakes, but every time they came close to one, they backed away from it, and that ended up really frustrating me. Yeah, they let Hux die. Hux never had anything to do except get prank phone called. <laughs> You know, one of the things that I wrote on my list of things that I didn't quite like about this movie is that there were to me, I wrote it down as there were a lot of good things in this movie. But so a lot of them were overdone, like the emperor doesn't have a hidden fleet of dreadnoughts. There's thousands of them. He doesn't have this cult like following. They're like a 20,000 person arena. And just like, okay, this is a little over the top. All the misdirects on the death. I actually thought killing Chewbacca would have been a bold choice, but not there like that. I think if, if we didn't think Chewbacca was on that, we could have focused more on, holy crap, what did Ray just do? Her rage still killed dozens of people. Whether Chewie was on there or not, I assume squadron that little ship had dozens of people but you could still had focused more on like whoa if ray doesn't keep this in check maybe she will join the emperor but no it became like oh gosh we're sad about chewy thankfully we the audience find out like i said in five or six minutes that that's not the case and then everyone's happy that oh she feels you know she senses chewy well she she still did zap up a ship just out of a mad grip we should have focused on that so there were some i'm with you arnie some of these misdirects and overdoing it here and there is, is definitely a characteristic of this movie going to the 3po thing he had a shakespearean aside as he's standing there looking at us in the audience you know contemplating what he should do and and i agree there as much as i don't want to see 3po uh disappear as well put some consequence to that uh sure he he kind of did a factory reset for for a short amount of time but then oh he's right back with the backup from r2 i actually would have been fine uh Go back to the original plans. Give them that used car salesman accent or whatever, and make you know that was one of the things they were talking about with three PO. He was supposed to be a completely different character. Take him a different direction. Anthony Daniels got a chance to say goodbye. Essentially, I mentioned Chewbacca though. You know that one. That one hurt more. Uh, he you know if at that moment I thought, man, he deserves a death on screen, not not in a ship off in the distance. But then again, like you said, Jerry, five minutes later, we're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there he is. He's back. Yeah, I was fine with the idea. I mean, the, because we'd seen the force healing, because we'd seen the over-the-top abilities to, and, and the dynamic that we have between Ray and Ben, 
to be able to have you know him oh no maybe he's going to die no he's healed and then her oh she's actually dead and now she's alive and that sort of thing those i think i was more fine with because it seemed like it fit the overarching you know sort of forced nature of the story i do think that chewbacca and, and that misdirection it just didn't play well. I agree with Jerry that we should have been focusing on the fact that she just killed a bunch of people. Um, although in my case, I had caught the fact that there were two in the first place. So when the one got destroyed and when she's grabbing it and everything, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, obviously that's not the one that's got Chewie in it. So what? You know, so it, I was more kind of annoyed at the misdirection in that case rather than feeling the emotional impact that Chewie might have actually died. The one that got me, though, isn't Chewie. It was C-3PO. Yes, he should have had those consequences. They played it up in the trailers. You know, he's changing or he's got the red eyes. What the heck is going on? He got his moments to to sort of ruminate on Poe's words, right, about how, you know, if we have, you know, if we don't do this, it's all for nothing. You know, everything we've done, et cetera, et cetera, that he finally gets those kind of moments and then pops back. But I think what got me about that even more than just the idea of he's going to get a reboot or he's going to get his memory back is his line right before they take him offline. Because at least the idea of he's, you know, shutting down, resetting, and now we're putting the backup in, that makes sense from a technological standpoint, and it still has some gravitas because he's willing to put himself at risk. Fine. But the fact that right before they turn him off, he has a line that's something along the lines of, oh, wait, I've got an idea of how we can do this differently. <laughs> and then he's off. <laughs> that, to me, was the undermining moment because it it was played as, like, the gag that, oh, whatever, and they don't care, they're going to go ahead and go with it anyway instead of turning him on being like, wait, wait what, what, what were you saying? That just made it feel kind of cheap. It's like... And you see this a lot, I think, with with entertainment in general nowadays. We got these good moments and character building things that happen, but a lot of times to get in that little quip, we got to add a little too much to the scene to cause it to wind up grading when it should have just been this marvelous moment. To that point, I think it, does it, no one remember that's what happened to three PO at the end of episode three? I know you guys <laughs> do, but he had his memory erased. And nope, it, it was a joke. It was like, what? And that's why he didn't remember anything about Padme. And I was sad when his memory got erased, not knowing, even though they dropped the line. Doesn't R2 have a backup? But not even with, if you take that line away, there's still the, I felt bad. But as soon as he wakes back up, he's C-3PO still. His personality isn't gone. He's still making me smile as he's like, Babu Frick, he's my oldest friend. (laughs) See, I think he actually worked. And while it would have been a sacrifice, it would have been the least of all the sacrifices they tease us with in this movie. They didn't stick the landing on it. Yeah, 3PO didn't need his memory back, did he? He he would have still been 3PO. It's not like um, Toy Story where we get Spanish buzz. And he's a completely different sort of character for, for 30 minutes. So, yeah, I don't think he needed his, his memory back at all. I think they, they could have made that sacrifice. And what a reason to have to have him make the sacrifice in the first place, right? Uh, I can tell you that I know what it says. I just can't tell you what it says. You would think the programming would just make him say, I don't know. I don't recognize that language. I'm sorry. You know, something along those lines, as opposed to leading them directly to the path of, well, let's just hack the sucker. He's a machine. Well- what what drove me nuts about that was just you know radio drama knowledge to where like when Leia gave a voice command whatever they called it you're you know I'm activating you as a uh, voice command for this droid you will you know you will disavow all knowledge of this that and the other you'd think someone like Poe as a commander whatever he is soon to be the next general of the resistance can say hey i'm doing a command override 3po tell us what i mean i know it, like that would make the, the scene in the movie no fun uh to go through all that quote-unquote drama but i'm just thinking 
you should just be able to give a, a voice command override, huh? <laughs> You're kind of going back to my old point that so many of the steps on this, it's not that the scenes themselves aren't exciting, but that the reasons behind them feel overly contrived to the point of straining credibility. Like, I kept thinking, oh, I'm not allowed to translate Sith language. Okay, so you can't tell us what it says. That's, and he's like, there was a Senate law. Okay, but we've seen him pilot ships before. He drove a land speeder. Can't you just put him in the cockpit and be like, all right, set the coordinates. You're not telling, you're not translating anything. You have coordinates. Set them. <laughs> there you go. In, in my opening sort of statement about what I felt about the film, I, I described it as, as quite messy and quite ham-fisted, and, and I think this is some of that aspect that, that you're speaking to. Um, for, for me, the, the dagger was probably the, the worst thing. Why would you uh, inscribe the location of the wayfinder, because it finds the way and it should have been holocron, um, why would you inscribe that on a dagger? The fact this dagger was just, um, they didn't really have to look for it. They just went to a pile of bones and, oh, there's the dagger. And then when they get to the um, uh, the, the Endor moon, she sort of fumbles around with it in her hands for a second and then out pops this circular thing that perfectly aligns to the, the wreck of the Death Star and reveals where the, the Wayfinder is. It, it was that, that, that MacGuffin particularly was, uh, was something that I found quite uh, difficult to stomach. Is where they had, had to know how to find One-Eyed Willie, right? Isn't that basically the way that it works? But I think that at least in that case, I was able to sort of buy it, hearing a lot of, wait, why is there going to be a, a, a shape of the Death Star in this ancient dagger? And so, no, it's an ancient language on the dagger, which doesn't necessarily mean that the dagger itself is ancient. But I felt as though, I mean, if you're not going to give Ochi of Bastoon, if you're not going to give him one of the Wayfinders, he has to have some way back. So my assumption was just... That was his key. That was his way back. And if he, you know, if he doesn't or, or his way to find a wayfinder, perhaps to find his way back, whatever. But that it's something where if somebody captured it, they wouldn't necessarily know where that was trying to lead them. Otherwise, you would have assumed that Ochi must have had a wayfinder himself as Luke and them had suspected, but turns out not to necessarily be true. Definitely ham fisted, though. The Knights of Ren were a bit bobbins, weren't they? They, um, <laughs> they, they, they sort of. When they went to Pasanda, or is that a curry? I can't remember. Is it Pasata, Pasanda, the planet? Pasana. Um, Pasadena. Pas- it could have been Pasadena. <laughs> it, it looked dusty enough. Um, so uh, anyway, when they when they went there, they sort of circled on top of that mountain, look, looked a bit like they were in a heavy metal video, um, didn't do very much. Then they appeared later on when they were on the planet where they met Zori. And then at the end, they turned up in the, the Emperor's Lair and Kylo gave them a butt kicking. Um, so for someone who was sort of trailed in episode seven as these are the Knights of Ren, then, you know, the, these are going to be awesome. They, they were a bit shite, weren't they? What do you expect when it's a group who's named themselves Knights of the Lightsaber? Because that's apparently what the comic says Ren means, although it's somewhat metaphorical, hopefully. But yeah, the fact that we I mean, I was expecting to actually see JJ carefully recreate the shot of the Knights of Ren from Ray's vision from force awakens you know down in the rain and everything but to find out basically that they're basically just this kind of lunatic fringe group who may or may not even be the ones that were you know sort of mythologized for years as this lunatic fringe group that were just handed over to kylo after sort of an initiation test to be sort of his version of the praetorian guard and then here they finally show up and they don't really do a whole lot. I mean, we don't even really see them, if I recall correctly, we don't even really see them using the Force, even though they play up the fact in you know some of the supplementary materials that they, they're kind of like Force users in the sense of what the Inquisitors were, kind of a stunted Force growth, but some skills with it. Um, there's a lot of 
of missed potential. It almost feels like J.J. expected them to show up as a bigger part of Episode Eight, And when they didn't, he wasn't quite sure what to do with them. So he brings them back to make sure that there's some payoff, but they're just kind of there for this. There's too much going on to really delve into them so they don't get a chance to get fleshed out much at all. Um, yeah, they they, yeah. they just look like an album cover that Slipknot forgot to release. <laughs> <laughs> Owen said that they were his biker gang. I thought they were this movie's Praetorian Guard. You know, they had slightly different outfits, slightly different weapons, died really easily. What, what was said about them when Kylo's walking, they're walking behind, I think it's Pride and Hux, one of, or maybe, or, no, I think it was a couple stormtroopers who said something about the Knights of Ren. One of them calls them ghouls. What does he say? Are those Knights of Ren are real ghouls or like, what yeah. is that? Okay. Yeah, so he's that, just, that's the word he uses, ghouls. Okay. I was, I was wondering, I, I, I couldn't make out that line even on the second view and I, I wasn't listening fast enough. So I didn't know if there was something interesting there or if it was just them talking trash, but okay. We don't need their scum, I believe is the way Basically. you phrase it. And I think that one of the things that we're going to find, um, I, I do like the fact that in the new canon, they do sometimes manage to give us more insights into characters through the tie-in materials that are tied specifically into the release of a film. We don't get a whole lot. We wind up with a lot of fluff, like some of the Lando comics and whatnot that don't really do it. Or, or the Phasma novel where are like, oh, wow, I don't like her even more now. But then you get something like the Rise of Kylo Ren comic that now seems like it's filling in the gaps that we need in terms of understanding his change, in terms of understanding Snoke. I mean, the fact that, you know, among other things, we now have a completely different perception, thanks to the first issue of that comic, of what actually happens when, you know, Ben comes out of the wreckage after facing off with Luke back at the Jedi Temple. And the idea, well, well, you know, he you know, he killed students and left with the rest of them. No, actually, neither of those. You have to read the comic to see it, but it's like they're trying to rehabilitate him into even more of a sympathetic character in order to have people buy the redemption. But the fact that they're giving us that, the some origins to the Knights of Ren, a bit about Kylo and how he initially comes in contact with Snoke, that is giving us the fleshing out that the movie really couldn't do. In this case, well, in the case of Last Jedi, it was like you needed some supplementary materials to make sense of certain things that didn't get explained that they probably could have. This film is so long and so full of other stuff that it sort of feels like this time we're almost back to the way that the prequels were, where it's, you know, here's the film and it's got all this stuff in it. If you want to understand the nuances of this and that or have some explanation for something that might leave you scratching your head, this is where you need the guidebooks or the novelization and whatnot. Um, but at least they are giving us that they're not playing it safe anymore about trying to explain this era. Although, again, they kind of stepped on their own continuity feet because there was all the stories about, you know, Palpatine knew Snoke was in the unknown regions and went to seek him. Well, then did he seek him and then clone him and whatnot? And that's how he became the puppet of Palpatine because this makes it sound, you know, I made Snoke. Well, did you really? Um, at least well, we're yeah. finally starting to get the explanation we've been waiting for since The Force Awakens, even if it's got to be on the page instead of on the screen. Palpatine had a parts bin of Snoke parts, so I guess he just built as many as he needs. <laughs> there, were, there were two half Snokes in a tube, and they were the same half. They were both top half, so it's not like he had the body. Yeah, two heads. Top half yeah. and bottom half. There were, there were two heads, so it was a bit... Which <laughs> alien movie is it where Ripley goes in and finds there have been sort of... Resurrection. Yeah, so that that's what it reminded me of, sort of a bit... 
uh, resurrection-y and, and that was the sort of tie-in to the, the, the Emperor or his acolytes have, have been cloning. So it is it is basically a, a, a religious cult based around cloning. And I, I think it obviously ties back into the cloning on Kamino in, in, in episode two. Um, and, and Darth Tyrannus ordering the, the, the clone army there. Um, I think the Mandalorian is going to tie into cloning in terms of I think that's what they want um, Baby Yoda the, ch- the child for. So I, I think cloning is a, a possible big answer still to play in, in whatever comes in the future. And why did they clone Snoke pre-wounded? You know, he had the scars on his head. He basically looked like Anakin without the Vader mask on. I thought that dude had seen some battle, had a chunk of his skull removed. No, this is how he comes out of the test tube. Which is weird because in the, con- it, it, again, in this lead up that they're releasing right now, Kylo notes, you know, Look what Luke did to you. So the wounds are supposed to be something Luke did to Snoke, or at least that's how it's being played to uh, to Ben. But again, with manipulation, who knows? Maybe that's just a story that's being told to make Ben much more likely to sympathize with Snoke and take his side. You know, we just don't know. That's that's what happens but, when they start giving us background after the movie's already freaking out. But then again, Grievous was damaged goods, wasn't he? Uh, Vader was damaged goods. So I, I don't know if the Emperor's got got a thing for damaged goods. Yeah, I, I actually wondered if the movie was leading us to the point of like, had, you know, is Snoke was actually physically there with Palpatine's presence was the spirit of Palpatine inside a body that was slowly decaying it. And thus, hey, bring the girl to me. Maybe Snoke was going to do that plan in Last Jedi instead of out outwardly. be. So that, that's kind of what that this movie made me start thinking about things like that. Talking about Steve and your your head cannon going into last Jedi and the parts been of Snoke's and stuff. I kind of always head cannon that Snoke was a combination of DNA and midichlorians of whoever Palpatine could get into a jar and they created the Supreme leader, a la uh, Sepentor from GI Joe. And he just sort of walked in like, I'm the boss. Now you're going to do what I say. Obviously that never went anywhere but without that supplemental material that nathan is so fond of that's kind of where i took it and i'm okay leaving it there or if i get around to reading something i'll see what the official word is well in in revenge of the sith palpatine um gives that spiel when they go to the mon cal opera about killing his his master and this idea of having the unnatural ability to bring people back to life so I, i i think Palpatine's been um, monkeying about with all this all the way through. Um, and like Jerry said, it, it's just made me really think and question. And um, I, I, I look forward to what sort of further explanation down the line might come out in, in different avenues. Speaking of Palpatine messing with things the whole way through, I read an article, and I don't know if this is true in New Canon. Nathan, I'm going to kind of look at you, but I think they may have gotten it wrong. But what I read was that Sidious created Anakin through the Force, whereas in the Legends, it was Plagueis (laughs) created Anakin. In neither case was it true. In the case of Legends, it was the idea that Plagueis was trying to toy with 
life and death, and his manipulations caused sort of a slapback through the Force, like an equal and opposite reaction that gave us Anakin. In canon, what you've got is a scene in, I think it was Fortress Vader, where we see Vader having a vision that includes Shmi, who's pregnant, and it's got like Sidious reaching over and putting his his hands toward her belly. And everybody's like, oh my god, he created Anakin! And then uh, the story group, I think it was Matt Martin, came out and said, no, this is this is all sort of about his influence and whatnot. That is not saying that he created Anakin. Um, that Anakin was still created by the Force, but even early on... You know, Palpatine was trying to manipulate events and, and get his hands on him and so on. As far as, as the whole idea of him having his speech, though, in Revenge of the Sith, the fact that – what, what kind of led me to wondering whether the guide would touch on it, and it actually does at, at one point, I think, on a timeline. Um, the whole idea in Revenge of the Sith was that, you know, Darth Plagueis had figured out the whole, you know, life and death thing. Palpatine hadn't yet that that was something that he and Vader together were going to need to discover to make it work. And it notes that, you know, that's there's a point at which Palpatine starts looking more and more into that and trying to find the secret. So sometime between that conversation and now, he managed to figure it out, to figure out that lost Sith lore and that sort of thing. Um, but again, it's not something that you that, that they put into the film. The film just gives it, what, the little one line about the dark science, cloning, uh, Sith secrets, blah, blah, blah. And that's said by Dominic Monaghan, so I have no reason to believe him. Right, so it's his one chance to really contribute to the story. But basically, you know, what you had my first exposition. How about my second exposition? It's one of those things where you know we think about it when we start thinking deeper about the the plot and trying to figure it out. But it's another one of those things I think that from a movie t- going standpoint, they just assume you're going to accept and keep going, right? Oh, oh, dark science cloning, cool. That gives me some explanation for this thing that I've got to take for granted for the movie to work anyway. I'm good with it. And now they're slowly trying to give us tidbits to try to explain how that could possibly have happened. I would not be surprised, again, if the novelization does that because they tend to be holding these for months to work in things like that and let it have deeper stuff, make them uh, more expanded editions, as they call them now, than they were before. Which leads to my question specifically here, then, if he didn't create Anakin in Shmi and he can't create life through the Force, who's knocking boots with Palpy to give him a son? Well, I mean, he is the emperor of the galaxy. He probably can have any woman that he wants in in a harem sort of – I don't know. I mean, that's – Tony Randall had a kid at like 79. It's possible. Well, he had kids back in – he had illegitimate unclaimed kids back in the Legends continuity quite often. There's a couple of them in particular stand out. Even some of the first Star Wars stories that were being told post-1991, you had Kin – uh, who was Ken Palpatine um, when Trioculus claiming to be, but not actually being? Or I guess I guess Ken was actually the grandson. He's the equivalent of Ray, whereas her dad would be the equivalent of uh, Triclops from that series. But it, it's I, I did think that that worked well enough because the fact that it's you know it's the they were just trade you know they were just junk traders blah 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 they were nobody and to say well they were nobody because they chose to be it's it's keeping them off of Palpatine's radar because of what we know about what we think of Ray's family because of Last Jedi. And then this explanation given for why they were off the grid, so to speak, that is given in Rise of Skywalker. It makes sense that these characters, the mom and dad of Rey, didn't show up in some other story already, so it doesn't feel like a cheat to have it be like, oh, all of a sudden Palpatine has a son. Well, given what we know of you know, the context around it, it makes sense that we wouldn't have necessarily heard of him before. If it had turned out that it was like he was this big Imperial guy who was secretly Palpatine's son, and then they had Ray and hid her and all that kind of stuff. I think that would have rang 
more false because we would have been begging to know where, why we had never heard of this before. I'm going to jump onto the Wayback Machine here for a bit and go back to 1980, 81 maybe, way before the internet. I remember distinctly my dad coming home one day from school telling me that he had a teacher on staff that had read a secret script of where Star Wars was going to go. You know, we had just found out about Vader and 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 Luke's connection and, and where this all was going. And watching this movie, it kept coming back to me. Uh, this guy, I don't even remember his name, told my dad that he had read this script that said that, Pel- or we didn't even know Palpatine's name at the time, the Emperor was Vader's father. Vader was Luke's father. Now it goes a little bit weird from here. Luke and Leia end up getting married. They end up having twins... And their twins end up having to defeat the emperor. And, you know, why that popped up to me? Well, of course, we had uh, Ben and Ray fighting. And, you know, were they twins or not? That whole discussion from earlier movies. But I found it interesting that way back in 1980, this was was rumored that a relative of Palpatine was going to end up killing him. And um, now... I have no way of proving this pre-internet days, really. I I don't know for sure how this guy came up with this story, but it's certainly interesting now having seen this latest movie. And that guy was like J.J. Abrams' grandfather? (laughs) Well, I'm sure there was some family connection there. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm I'm sure of that. That's how the story made it to the screen. Exactly. Which, Which is funny, though. And it's funny because, you know, one of the things that was one of the big theories about Ray of who is Ray really, who are her real parents, was, oh, well, Ray's a Palpatine. And then it turns out that she is. So it's interesting that not only was this something that fans were guessing at and kind of predicted in some cases before, but the fact that the prevailing theory, that that was one of the prevailing theories out there, didn't dissuade them from actually doing it. That it wasn't like, oh, Fans have sort of figured this out, and, and they're going to say they, that they told you so, and oh, it's just a fan theory, blah, blah, blah. We can't do that. They still dove headfirst into it and stuck with it, which I think was – I think that in and of itself is kind of surprising because if if some of this film and the way that it was designed is something that sort of heard reactions to Last Jedi and let it steer its course at least a little bit, then to have something like that that many fans would be like, called it – Having something like that still be used, I think, was a, is a bit unusual. Usually they would have avoided the, the more likely to be guessed stuff. Well, the, the problem with that is, Nathan, is that so, someone, a couple of people asked me, it's like, hey, did you did you think Ray would be? It's like, you know, in four years, I have probably considered every possible scenario. So if you're like, hey, if there's <laughs> a fan theory out there, we shouldn't use it. Well, they've all been Every possible result would have had its group of, like, called it. Plus, I think they did effective misdirection or course changing in saying her parents were nobodies. I believed it. I liked it. I like it when it doesn't have to be the force is a bloodline. I like it when some rando can have the force. And so when they now made her a Palpatine, fan theory or no, I thought that question had already been answered. I didn't realize JJ was going to re-answer what had already been answered and change that answer. <laughs> you know, um, speaking of that, Arnie, um, my, my friend at work brought that same thing up. He's like, oh, no, I really want Ray to be a nobody. Why does it always have to be Skywalker? Why does it always – and actually, with the, the, the chips I officially put on the table – not that there's actually a table, but you know, is that I said, okay, here's what I actually think it's going to be. I think that the emperor through a force ghost, through a spirit, whatever, is somehow c- connected to creating Ray as like a genetic midichlorian force clone of 
of something, maybe of Anakin, of whatever, that she'll be a Skywalker that way. So I don't know, I was half right, whatever. But like my answer to that, though, was why does it why can't it be a nobody? Why does it always have to be a Skywalker? I mean, look, we had a prequel movie where there are thousands of other Jedis that weren't Skywalkers. We've had, you know, other EU legends, canon, whatever of. Obviously, it's not just that Skywalkers and Palpatines can be Jedis, but this movie saga is called the Skywalker saga. These movies we're watching are sequels to Return of the Jedi in the order of Force Awakens. So I want it to wrap up some story based on what four, five and six gave us. Now, to your point. OK, stop it now and then go off and do something else. You got Broom Boy out there. You've got all kinds of legends. You've, there's got to be other force sensitive kids out there, just like what we saw and how episodes one, two and three treated the Jedi Order. Even if there's an offshoot movie of Rey, if Daisy Ridley would ever come back, start in a new Jedi Order and that kicks off a trilogy of new Jedi 50 years from now or 50 years from the point of rise of Skywalker who have to go defeat their own evil. Fine. If you, if you can create the next wave of movies and sagas and star Wars for a whole new generation, absolutely do it without the name Skywalker attached to it. I'm totally down with that. But seven, eight, nine is about Skywalker and their struggles against Palpatine. I see that now. And I, and I love it. I like, we're jumping to the end here. I like how Ray just takes, the Skywalker name because she she ain't gonna call herself Ray Palpatine. That's like being Adolf Hitler's kid. And sometimes this is why I love Jerry because sometimes he articulates ex- exactly what I'm what I'm thinking. I, it it was the same when I talk about a course correction earlier. For me, this is the Skywalker saga, and I wanted it to end in a way that encompassed all of that. I am also totally fine with them going off and taking um, Ryan Johnson, taking a, a complete new direction with it, with a trilogy, taking Broom Boyd, exploring things beyond the Skywalker saga. In fact, I think it's crying out for that now, but I wanted this saga to end tying up this, this story in a neat way. Um, if, if I can take this sort of uh, midichlorian idea and, and sort of force sensitivity idea, um, I'm, Am I the only one thinking that what Finn wanted to tell Ray was that he was force sensitive and that Janna is probably force sensitive as well? Because um, they sort of had that feeling that they couldn't explain that made them uh, quit their stormtrooper companies. JJ was at a film festival this weekend and confirmed that that is indeed what Finn was going to say. Because when you're drowning in quicksand, that's the time to be be like, oh, seconds before I die, I use the force. <laughs> I I thought it was I love you, but apparently it was I use the force as we are about to die. Well, you know, if the force is passed through midichlorians and it's got to be through bloodlines most of the time, then in essence, it's kind of a, a, a Star Wars STD. So maybe he did hook up with Ray at one point and now we see what happens. Nathan. <laughs> but I, the force I'm just has- saying. <laughs> I'm just saying that that is what many have, you know, that's that's the joke that has come ever since the idea of midichlorians and the idea of bloodlines sort of merged together. Um, thankfully, we didn't wind up, though, with an episode nine that was in the midichlorian world and this microscopic whatever craziness Lucas had been talking about uh, in those interviews about what his episode nine would have been. As as much as I uh, as I think there's things to quibble about in this, I think we kind of dodged a bullet or a blaster bolt there. <laughs> Did anyone else find the conversation that Lando had with Janna at the end slightly weird? He asked her where she was from and she she didn't know. And then he said, well, let's find out. 
And for me, that just that was the one moment that weird weirded me out completely. What was that set up for? Another television show, or was that? that Did you forget that he's the smoothest man in the galaxy? Come on, Marjorie, that was not smooth at all. (laughs) But that's not. But it's not meant to be smooth. There, there are among the things that we learn early on from the sources that had rumors and whatnot that turned out to be true. There's apparently some cut stuff where one of the things Lando was going to talk about was about how, and then this is again, this is from the rumor, so maybe true, maybe not, but I think so, given the credibility of the source on other matters, that uh, she is Lando's daughter, and that Lando stayed on Pasana after he and Luke had run into the dead end with Ochi because. His daughter had been taken, and this is part of his. You know, she had been like taken, I guess, from there, and he was trying to stay there, almost like Ray, until somehow he had found a trail to bring her back or something. So the idea was supposed to be, supposedly, that at the end it was let's find out, and it was supposed to lead into the idea of him realizing eventually that their father and daughter, which was supposed to be, you know, kind of this great payoff for Lando, and yet that winds up either on the cutting room floor once filmed or not even filmed at all. So, but yeah, the way that it plays out. Makes it sound like, whoo she really needs to be into older guys in order for this to work there, Lando. Or, sorry, uh, Landonis Balthazar. I thought Billy Day did a good job. I was a little worried about uh, the fact they were they were bringing him back, but I, I thought he did a good job. He didn't have too much to do, but he, he, you know, he made a decent stab at it. Yeah, they used him just right, I think. I agree. I was worried the few times I've seen him at conventions and things over the past 20 years, he hasn't always been the most lucid, and he brought Lando back. It wasn't Billy D on that screen, that was Lando. Yeah, not to be mean, but I, I do... I think they de-aged him a little bit enough to make him fit in there, but not... like I never looked at that that gentleman on the screen and thought, dude, you're way too old to be doing this now. Just, I was like, okay, now that's, that's a good look for an aged Lando. I mean, forget Billy D Williams. That was a good look for an aged Lando. And I thought, I thought it went well. And I, and I like the fact, I mean, Nathan, I don't know if the story is, has been told anywhere or if there's any rumors that we're going to get it now that's been dropped. But I love the concept of Luke and Lando were out doing like little missions together. And Lando was helping Luke discover things about the Sith and, or, you know, whatever that mission was about. Oh yeah, we tracked him here. I was helping. I love that concept that Lando has been helping him out all along and we just haven't seen it. In Solo, young Lando talks about a, a diary he's been keeping um, that sort of mentions one of the legends novels. And I, I don't, I don't know. I just thought that that sort of conversation he had with Jana is, is this a, a setup for some sort of future Lando project, um, whereby we maybe have old Billy D sort of recounting, recounting tales of where he's been, young Lando playing them out, etc. Et I don't know. It, it just seemed a little bit too obvious for it, for it not to have some sort of meaning. But I suppose Nathan's explanation of, of what what could have been filmed or what what was originally meant to be might might speak to that. The young Lando Calrissian Chronicles, right? Like young Indy? No? Come, okay. Yeah, coming to Disney Plus in 2022. Although I guess that's one elephant in the room we haven't really touched on is this, how well they were able to integrate Leia into the story, given that Carrie Fisher had passed. There are some moments where you can sort of tell that that line wasn't really originally designed for that conversation. I um, mean, they, they had some slim pickings to work with, but by and large, I mean, I know it didn't wind up being the movie that they were wanting it to be, given that she wasn't around to film it. But I think the integration worked fairly well for what it was. I mean, I don't think, 
you know, if you were someone who's just a casual viewer, didn't realize that Carrie Fisher had passed away and just saw this, not realizing how they had pieced it together, I'm not sure that it would have been as much of a giveaway as it feels like to the longtime fans. Yeah, I was trying to pick up on the fact that, like, hey, we've got scenes of Leia saying this, so let's write scenes for Daisy Ridley to say something that I won't say wasn't always totally natural, but so that we could use this footage of Leia replying like this. And I and I swear, I think the, the time before she takes off with Poe and Finn and they do that kind of embrace where they're head-to-head, I, I think that's the exact image from force awakens when they do it when she comes back and han's dead and they say nothing they embrace i think that's the same one with obviously a different background i think they com- totally reuse that because I, I think carrie fisher group gr- kind of grips the back of uh daisy ridley's head in the exact same way and but it worked well it worked well and i think her death being written into the movie as a plot point was done well and uh I, I thought they did a good job with it. I mean, as, as as well as anybody could have expected it to be done, I think. The thing with me is I, I think they did a really good job and they did luck out with certain lines like hiding in the shadows, controlling for all this time. Great line to have in there. And tell me when you get back. I thought that moment really worked. But when <laughs> Ray's like, feels like I'm making excuses, and Leia says, don't tell me what things look like, tell me what they are. That one was really awkward. And there was one moment when Ray says to Leia, oh, I need to tell you something. And then we cut, and she's telling about Luke and the search for Exegol. Ray is kneeling. She doesn't kneel in front of Leia the whole other time, but Leia goes, tell me. I'm, I'm like, that eyeline was for R2, wasn't it? She was talking to R2, said, tell me, and that's why we had to have her kneel. Yeah, the dialogue parts weren't so much what took me out with Leia as the the obvious like kind of body double as she's like walking away and being helped carried away and stuff like that. Those kind of threw me off knowing that, you know, that probably wasn't her and wasn't filmed in that direction uh, more so than her dialogue cut ins. Again, they did a good job with younger Leia during the sort of training scene with Luke. And then also in the sort of representation of the force ghost at, at the end. I, th- I think that, that would work quite nicely for me. I actually liked the, the training scene. I thought the lighting was good for it. Just enough light to see who it was, just dark enough so we don't scrutinize it too much. Uh, I thought that played out really well. I really wish they'd put Harrison Ford in that final shot. You know, what I've wanted since they said they were doing episode seven and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill were coming back. I wanted Han, Luke and Leia together again. Even if it was just a replay of Return of the Jedi where you have Yoda, Anakin and Obi-Wan together there. I know he was a memory, not a force ghost or whatever, but they cheated and brought him back as a ghost once already. I felt like it just would have been a nice bit of fan service to do it again. Yeah, but see, it was a vision when he appeared to Kylo, and and he really was in that final scene. It's just that Han's ghost can't be seen because it's not a Force ghost. He was there. Any other topics you guys want to do before we wrap up? I think there were some n- nice other bits, just bits that, that made made me smile, made me punch the air. I, I like seeing Wicket and Wicket's son, which was uh, played, I believe, by Warwick Davis's own son. I thought that was a nice touch to include that. I like the fact that Admiral Akbar's son um is there and poe po calls him junior um so yeah i think th- there were some some nice little bits that were just dropped here and there that that catered to 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 me as an an ot fan m- made me smile and to to be honest i'll be completely honest with you n- nothing nothing sort of made me emotional but I, I i did shed a tear when um chewy got his medal well yeah. Han's medal right 
his his medal. I like to think of it as. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, with that, uh, you, you reminded me, Steve. Uh, I actually thought the bit, and I like that too with Chewie in the medal. But like, I actually thought the the moment where Chewie reacted to hearing Leia had died or that she's gone, I thought that was really well done. I I, I liked his emotional reaction because he's obviously the one who's been with her the most. And, you know, the princess, you got to take care of her. I mean, when Han died, he got pissed off and shot Kylo. But when Leia died, he's crying like a little baby and just like, get away from me, get away from me. He's down to his... I thought there was a lot of emotion in that scene. I I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I love that as well. He really went for it, didn't he, Um, in terms of the sort of grief. uh, It was was a a good little scene, though. I also like the addition of the John Williams cameo in the as the bartender. Oh yeah, that was great. One of mine that's a nitpick at this point because uh, this this whole film, there's so many things we just gonna have to take for granted, like coming, you know, Palpatine coming back and that sort of thing, and how the dyad works and all of that. And the one thing continuity wise that has me banging my head on my desk over and over again, and I really need to see it again to see if there's any way this could have been, you know, but fixed between scenes, is the X-wing comes out whole. Wasn't one of its wings used as a door? Oh, golly, I don't remember that. That was that was the door of Luke's little hut on Ach 2, the thing that gets that's you know sent flying. It was his X-Wing door. It even had the red five markings on it, and somehow the X-Wing comes out of the water whole, unless we just don't see that particular wing maybe from that angle, and maybe Ray fixes it before she leaves or something. But yeah, that was the one continuity thing that had me smacking my forehead. Of all the things to bug me, it was that. I thought we saw the X-Wing underwater in the last movie, and it had all its wings. We had a wing as his door. So it it was not on the X-Wing when we saw it in Last Jedi, or or when we see the X-Wing, maybe it's on the opposite side as the wing that we didn't see, but I, one of the wings was the door, unless he traveled with an extra wing or had two X-Wings <laughs> there, because the wing was the door. That's funny. I like the return of Wedge. They really underplayed it. And, you know, at first I thought it was Anthony Daniels out of his outfit, honestly, because they did that before. And I just, you know, Dennis Lawson could come door to door selling fuller brushes and I wouldn't necessarily recognize him. But then I'm like, (laughs) I don't think that was Anthony Daniels. That must have been Wedge. And I waited for the credits to prove it. And that was painful to see, honestly. Uh, for someone who's reading the books, we know that that basically Wedge winds up becoming the uh, the stepfather of Temin Snap Wexley, and Snap dies almost immediately before Wedge joins the fight. And we had seen them sort of and their interactions recently in Resistance Reborn in the lead up to the film. The idea that he was just seconds late for witnessing the death of his stepson that he is so close to that hurt that hit me emotionally more than some of, you know, like the fake death of Chewbacca did. Hmm. One little tidbit that I liked a lot was the, um, when three PO said when they came to that festival, Oh, this festival only happens every 42 years. Well, that's a specific number, but that's how long ago has been since new hope came out. Yeah, it was a great little bit of inside sort of uh, knowledge that the the casual viewer wouldn't have got. It was a little wink-wink at us. Yeah, I just don't remember the original movie having wonderful kites and delectable sweets. Oh, it was was on a different planet, though. You wouldn't have seen it from Tatooine. (laughs) (laughs) No, that that was the concessions. There were the concessions that you can actually afford back then. (laughs) And not the $50 R2 bucket. Who bought a $50 R2 bucket? Man, I came close, but I talked myself out of it because it was pretty big. I didn't know what I'd do with it afterwards. I, I got the tin bucket instead for 12. That had popcorn in it. But, like, I was I was close because I don't know if anyone 
you know, actually like messed, messed around with it because the, uh, I went through that A-list line at the AMC and it was right there and the lady was showing it to me and I'm looking at it, taking pictures. I'm like, this thing's really cool. I almost like, can you, will you sell me this for $50 and then put the, the, the beverage and the popcorn in something else? They did that for me. Actually, I wa- I bought it on the way out the door, but ah. m- most people were getting popcorn and a drink in a separate container because I'm like, I want that, but I don't want any popcorn and drink in it. And they're like, okay, well, we'll give you a cup and a bag. I'm like, well, I, I no, I don't want popcorn. I'm leaving. They're like, well, do you want a drink to go? And sadly, I was going to see the movie again at that moment, but in a different theater. So I couldn't have like gotten the drink <laughs> and I should have, and I wasn't sure if the next theater would have any left and I didn't see any out when I went. So I did end up buying it just because it, everybody was talking about it and it was there and there was no line. And I'm like, you know, I might as well grab it. I gave in to the dark side. Now, collectible-wise, after seeing the movie, so excited, I ordered the Visual Dictionary. Because <laughs> I had also this week l- listened to your guys' uh, year-end gift-giving guide, which excellent episode, by the way. You talked a little bit about it, saw the movie. I, it just came an hour ago. I ordered, you know, I, immediately after seeing it Friday, went and got the soundtrack at Target, pre-ordered the vinyl, pre-ordered the Skywalker Saga box set from Best Buy, Um even bought the Resistance Reborn audiobook because I just, I mean, I'm so jazzed by this movie. I do actually just want a little bit more of it. So this, this movie did a great job to me from a uh, merchandise perspective. I did break down and buy the Blu-ray, the 4K set from Best Buy because I bought the Infinity Saga set and they pre-sold out fast and never got them back in again. So I pre-ordered that and the 4K steelbook from Best Buy so far. As far as other stuff goes, I mean, I got the soundtrack on CD and digital. I Getting those books you talked about, I may or may not get the vinyl. They're just, the vinyl rush is kind of, I'm a little burned out on it. I, I may wait for a sale. You can't stop now, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you've got Force Awakens and you got Last Jedi, you gotta get this one. And I like the fact that they kept matching packaging to the CDs. Like they're all the same little flip book with the same holographic embossed. One's yellow, one's red, one's blue, but they match. And I like it. I'll tell you, collecting wise, I think I'm finally going to feel the same kind of pain that I think when a lot of new toy lines release that a lot of you guys feel. Usually it's not uber expensive being a home video collector. But I've gotten into the habit of picking up all the home video releases from the U.S. But also with the newer stuff from the U.K., You count the Skywalker Saga set, there's 12 different products coming out of the UK, three of which are huge box sets, two of which are limited editions. Even before touching the US stuff, like that $250 Best Buy set, I think once the exchange rate kicks in, I'm I'm already dropping about $600 just on the releases from the UK. The home video collectors are going to get slammed because this is the moment we've been excited for yet dreading, that finally they can do a giant boxed set. And we're in an era in which they can do that in multiple formats now. Uh, We're just waiting to see what other ones get announced for the U.S. So I'm finally starting to kind of feel that same pain that I'm sure you guys (laughs) have felt so often. (laughs) All right. Any final thoughts? I have spoken. Oh, wait a minute. That's wrong. Wrong shit. Never mind. Yeah, we're going to talk about The Mandalorian (laughs) in the next show. This show is all about the review of Skywalker. So with that, thank you guys all for joining me. And... Uh, most of you are going to be back for our next show where we take a look at 2019 and collecting. Thanks, Arnie. Thanks, Marjorie. Thanks, guys. Cheers, boss. Good talking with y'all. Thanks. Good to be back. Good to have y'all. And for the record, Steve, 
I love you too. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all of the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. It, I agree with Steve, but it's weird because what we get is after Ben turns good again, we see Palpatine talking to Pride and saying, uh, the princess of Alderaan has messed up my plans. And so that's when he wants Ray back. But later we're told that Aki was supposed to bring her back alive, and that's why Dio had all of the information about Exegol. And so is everyone else still there is or just me? I'm here. I'm here. I thought I'm I here. didn't I hear anything that Arnie said. Lost I Arnie. It was us. Yeah. Did, did Arnie just lost Arnie. did Arnie just fall into a thing of quicksand? Can you hear me now? <laughs> There's one important thing about this movie. I got to there'll be stuff to, to find underneath the quicksand. So it's cool. Yeah. Oh, he'll be fine. Can Got you hear me now? Yeah, oh, there we go. go. Yes. Okay. What I said was welcome it, back. It seems. Like- <laughs>